Let's open up a quick word of prayer. Generally, Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege of being in your house. And God, we especially are grateful today for uh, the gift of fatherhood with all of its uh, responsibilities, its ups and downs, and uh, getting puked on. And so, Lord, we just thank you for all the things that you do for us. And Lord, today we just want to take this, this time to honor our fathers and and just uh, encourage them. So God, I pray this morning as I speak that you would uh, speak through me, that uh, your people would be encouraged, equipped, and uh, as they go out of this place into their weeks, that they would remember the things that they've heard here today. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, happy Father's Day uh, for you who are dads already and soon to be dads. Uh, my brother's wife is like practically bursting at the seams, ready to give birth soon. We're praying that it happens like, not now, wait till the sermon's done, but <laughs> we're hoping it happens soon. Um, I spoke here on Father's Day two years ago, and when I got up here, uh, I basically was thinking through the whole process of while I was prepping, planning, and then got up here, and I said, what am I doing here? I am not even a father. I don't know what it's like to be a dad, let alone can I even tell other fathers what God's word is calling them to do. What could I possibly say? Two years later, I can now come up here and say, I'm less rested, I've changed many diapers, been puked on more times than I can count, so I feel like I'm a little bit qualified now. <laughs> Fatherhood is uh, an amazing, amazing gift uh, that God bestows on us, and with all of its funky smells and sometimes deafening sounds, I found myself asking among a wide array of questions, what does it mean to be a father? What kind of dad do I want to be? What kind of dad do I want to be to Eliana when she's growing up and I'm raising her with Steph? I don't have any newfound secret of, of what it means to be a father or a three-step program to being a better dad or anything like that. Um, but hopefully for those of you uh, who are new, seasoned, and uh, about to be fathers, that's a question that I'm hopefully uh, getting you to ask yourself um, when you have kids. Especially even those of you who have older kids even now. Sometimes when you're so long in it, you kind of just, it's routine. But uh, sometimes it's important to ask that question every now and again. What kind of father am I being to my son? What kind of father am I being to my daughter? There was a dad uh, who took his six-year-old son to a theme park. Now at the park, him and his son got on uh, a wild, not crazy ride, but the dad was a little apprehensive about it. And they got it on, and so... The, the attendant at the thing buckled in his son and buckled in the dad and then proceeded to start the ride. The entire time during the whole ride, the boy's dad just felt this intense panic inside of his heart the entire ride, just white-knuckling it and gritting his teeth and just praying that this ride ends and it lasted over 90 seconds. He was just praying, let it end now. And as he looked over to his son, he saw his son was just having the time of his life, laughing, enjoying, and just doing whatever you do on, on this ride, and he was just really enjoying it. And after it was done, they got off the ride, and they went to sit on a bench, and he asked his son, weren't you scared? That was a pretty wild ride. Why would you get on a ride like that? And his son replied, well, because you did, Dad. You did, so I got on it. Dads are so influential in a whole wide array of different things, but this isn't to say moms aren't either. Both are influential for sure in their own unique ways. But as I was going through the passage that I, I'm focusing on this morning, uh, I began to see the way that God calls fathers uh, to be intentionally influential uh, in the upbringing of their children. What kind of influence or impact are you making in your kid's life? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
And uh, we'll be taking some time looking through this passage in this section. So if you want to put up uh, the, first, the first slide, Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 1 to 3. Uh, this is what it says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So just to pause for just a moment before going further, Moses here is speaking to the people of Israel in an assembly, much like this, but a wider audience, much larger. Now within this assembly, in case you you just missed it in that passage, in verse 3, he seems to be addressing fathers specifically. It says in verse 3, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. He's speaking to them because fathers played an important role in the family unit in this particular day and age. God designated them to be leaders of their household, and as such, it came with its set of responsibilities. Baker's Bible Dictionary highlights this. At a very early stage, children were taught to accept the total authority of the father. Early education took place in the home, and Jewish education education was centered around the Torah. At home, it was the father's responsibility to teach the Torah to his children, especially his sons. The father's main responsibility in in this kind of context in the day and age is to be in the home, was to carry on the faith, was was to pass it on to his children and make sure that they knew the commands, the statutes, and the requirements that the Lord was calling them to, to adhere to. And so that was the father's job, to pass on that information to his kids what God did for them, what God has done, what God is going to do, all of these things, so that one day as he passes on these stories to his kids, they will one day in turn do the same for their own. Now in going back to the passage, we see what it is that they are called to, to do in this regard and how they are to do it. So if you put up the next uh, section of Deuteronomy 6, verses 3 to 9. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Next, there's more. You don't have the rest? It goes to verse 9. I'll just read it from the actual Bible. Sometimes that's better. Oh, there it is. I'm just going to read it so it flows better. Deuteronomy 6, uh, chapter, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4. So, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the first point I want to make is this. They shall be on your heart. Your heart. So before even addressing the role of parenthood, Moses first calls attention to the critical task. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words I command today shall be on your heart. Now I'm not up here to tell fathers that you're falling short. You're terrible, you're not living up to par or whatever, but I want you to think of this in terms of a self-evaluation scheme and ask yourself where you are. Are you loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and might? That's an important question. It's this all-encompassing concept that with your entire being, all of who you are, 
where is God's place on your list of important things in life? And this applies to all of us, but dads especially, where does God fit in for you? Is it the beginning of the day, the end of the day, if at all? That's an important question, because before Moses even addresses their responsibility as parents, he addresses their hearts first and foremost. If we, have a posit- if we want to have a positive influence on our children and on, our, on their kids after uh, they have kids, we have to be influenced through our own personal relationship with God. Loving the Lord your God requires all of your will. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart requires all of your will. It's a desire with passion and emotional ties. You are drawn to it. It's recognizing the one we are called to love. When I first laid eyes on Steph, no one ever came to me and said, I command that you love that woman. I command that you do it, and you have to do it right now with all of your will. And you must do it. That wouldn't make sense to me because you can't just will it and get it to to the place where you want it to be, especially where we are right now. That wouldn't make sense without knowing anything about her at all or experiencing her friendship, her character, who she is, what her heart is. Who could ever expect that you could just automatically click and love someone? So why love God? Why love God at all? If you have read Deuteronomy before, in the first huge uh, section from 1 to chapter 5, Moses spends a huge chunk of time Uh, From chapters 1 and onward, reminding the people of all the things that God has done for them. He rescued them from Egypt. He was giving them victory over their enemies, enemy after enemy, kingdom after kingdom. Was guiding them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And on their journey, yes, they obeyed and things were good. But at the same time, they disobeyed and things were bad. Yet throughout the entire, entire narrative, God's grace and mercy is continuously on display. They complain and grumble, and then God reprimands them through the leadership and sets them kind of in their place. They repent, and he once again provides for them. So Moses is here reminding them that God has done so much for them and has displayed it, his love and mercy, constantly, despite everything that they have done. So why not love him when he so clearly has loved first? A question for us today, because we weren't here. We weren't in the context of this. We weren't wandering in a wilderness for 40 years. But a a question we have to ask today is, what has God done in our lives that has impacted us in such a way that we respond to him in love? What are some of the things in your own life, you don't have to answer this obviously, but what are some things in your life that you can think about now over your entire history? What has God done for me that would cause me to say, man, he is so loving, he is so gracious, so compassionate, so caring for his people. How could I not respond to that in love? Love him with all your soul. This is loving God with our entire being. All of who we are is not only simply loving God, but living out that love. It's like proclaiming it from the rooftops. I love this person. You're shouting it out everywhere. And like a marriage being publicly displayed in front of all to see, we are to love God with the way we live, the way we talk, the way we behave in and outside of the church, in and outside of our homes. The things we do when no one's around. That's the kind of stuff. Now, I suspect that if you hid away your significant other or someone you care a lot about, if you hid them away and didn't tell anyone about them ever, never mentioned them once, I imagine that that person would be pretty upset with you if you never told them that they even existed. With God, it's like that too. With God, God is saying, I've done all of this for you. I've loved you. I've cherished you. I've done everything that I could possibly do for you to show you how much I am invested in you. 
Why would you not respond in love? Why would you not tell others all that I have done for you? With God, it's like that. With our soul, with our very life, we are saying, I love God. Loving him with all of his, of our might. You are striving. You're working at it. You're invested in it. You're putting in this, this amount of effort, the necessary time to foster and grow that relationship. Like any relationship, you're taking time. You go out for coffee or whatever it is you do, and you're investing personal time, one-on-one, getting to know that person. It's like that with God. We take the necessary time. You're investing in it by spending time in God's word, hearing from him, praying, connecting with other believers. There is an effort on our part. And with all three of these together, heart, soul, and might, it's the totality of your being, making the proclamation that from inside out, you are for God. You love him, and you are proclaiming it through your actions, through your life, through your words, things said, things unsaid. People could see there is something about you that, that is just evident that you are a follower of God. Now, once Moses issues this initial command, he tells them that these aren't simply just words. It's one thing to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Okay, Moses. Like, it's more than that. It's more than just words spoken or words on a page. Moses is saying they are to be taken into your heart internally and lived out. So the second point, first point was you have to own it. You have to write it on your own heart. But the second point is passing it on. Moses didn't just give them this information to say, okay, great, now you love the Lord with all your heart, might, and soul. There's a reason for this. When I was growing up, I wasn't fully cognizant of what was going on in our home uh, in terms of finances and how things were being taken care of. And I mean, I knew my dad had a job and he was, he was uh, making some coin and he went out somewhere collecting money off a tree or something. Uh, but the ins and outs, I didn't fully comprehend, like, where did dad go for eight nine hours a day, or what did he do when I was really young? And it wasn't until I was older, uh, I began to realize with the family of our size, with 10 kids, some things just don't add up. Like, where is he getting the money? Like, he's not selling drugs on the side, so um, <laughs> where, <laughs> where does this come from? How does it all come into play? Where are we getting the things that we need? And it was difficult a little bit to understand that, but as I began to ask questions, I would be like, okay, how did... How did this happen? Where did this come from? So on and so forth. And as I began to get the bottom, to the bottom of it, my dad shared numerous times, just story after story as I was growing up. And, you know, oh yeah, that one time this happened and God made a way in this area. Or this time when we weren't sure what was going to happen this week, this door opened up and God provided in that way. And hearing that not only that God cared about us, but that God was taking like time to to invest into our family, to provide, to take care of us, that blew me away as a young boy early on. Why would God even care about us at all, like to the point where he's so invested in taking care of us? And hearing that God did that was a huge life lesson for a young boy to learn at that young age, that as I grew up in my life, I've taken hold of that, that promise that God provides, Jehovah Jireh, that no matter what I go through, no matter the things or circumstances, wherever, you know, I'm begging God, let this happen, or if I'm you know, especially when I was a student in university, where's the next, like, check coming so that I can get some food? Knowing that God provided for my family paved the way for me to realize God's going to provide for me too. And that was a huge lesson that was passed on to me when I was a young kid, trusting that no matter the circumstances, somehow God would come through. He's promised it. And my dad passed on so many amazing God stories, my mom too. 
but those are so important. And that's what Moses is saying to the fathers and the whole assembly. He's saying, you saw what God did. You've experienced it for yourselves. You've witnessed it with your eyes, your very hearts. You've seen what God has done. Don't forget about it. Pass it on, pass those stories on to your kids that they might know who God is, what he's done, and that he takes care of his children. He says in verse 7 and onward, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. It takes diligence. It's hard work being a father. I'm only in it very, very like, I'm still a rookie. But for those of you that have been in it for so long, it's hard work. It's not an easy calling to be a father or, or a parent. It's, it's work. And it takes intentionality as we invest into our children, our kids. How are you displaying your own personal walk with God? Do your children see it lived out in your life, in the home, outside of the home, What do you do when you stub your toe? (laughs) What's your reaction in those circumstances? Do they see who you are? This call, this responsibility encompasses not only the inside of the home, but as you are out and about walking, shopping, going to work, dropping your kids off school, so on and so forth. It's acknowledging that around the dinner table that what you are about to eat, what's before you, is not done by your very own hands. That the food you're about to eat is a complete privilege that, and, and provision from God that he's blessed you with. It's acknowledging that and telling your kids, I didn't do this in my own strength. The Lord provided. It's giving praise and gratitude. It's walking down the street and seeing amazing landscapes and giving recognition to the one who designed it. And it's not like being an annoying person. You know, every second of the day you're harping on the same topic like yeah, God made that tree and you just remind your kid every day that God made that tree it's it's a it's taking time when the moment occurs when it rises up you see the opportunity to say hey this is this is a moment for me to take time for my kid to invest in them and tell them something in this moment about what God has done or what he's provided or whatever the case may be it's taking those moments and opportunities when they come when they arise And there are many dads uh, in the fictional world all the time. Uh, TV is so annoying. Uh, (laughs) But there are so many dads fictionally. But sadly, it doesn't just stop at fiction. It hits reality too. There are many dads in this life who are just not always there. They're just not always present. Either they work too much or when they're home, they just don't make the time. They're not present fully in, in their homes. And I read a study on dads recently. It's quite extreme, uh, so it's not the case for, you know, all dads across the board. But I read this study, and the results from that that case study said on an average, dads spend a total of about eight minutes a week with their kids in this particular case study in the States. Eight minutes a week. That's quite extreme. Now, I know there are some fathers, for sure, who are investing way more time in their, in their children and in their homes. That's, it's an extreme circumstance wherever the case study was done. But if that's the case, eight minutes a day, that's so little of time investing in your kids. And I know dads who aren't like that. But at the same time, it still begs the question, how much time are you investing when your children come to you for whatever reason, how do you respond to their questions or their, their things that they're calling you to do? I'm busy. Go ask your mother. Now, I'm not saying to, to put a guilt trip on you, be like, oh, you fathers, woe is you. Uh, you know, it's not like that. It's, it's just simply recognizing 
that time can get away from us. Time is so quick. A moment comes and a moment passes so quickly. Are we making the time? Because it comes and goes. And whenever I talk to dads who have kids who are in university, they, that's always the same thing, especially for new dads. I'll always hear it. You know, the time flies. Soon they're in diapers, and the next moment you know it, you blink, and they're already off to college or getting married. And you realize before you know it, there's so much time that has passed, and you're right, realizing, like, what have I done? What did I do to invest in that, in that kid? Are we making the time? Moses says, be diligent. Be diligent. And it's hard sometimes, and maybe it's not always exciting, uh, you know, having a tea party with your daughter, or if you're a mom, being, you know, doing boy stuff, playing in the mud or dirt, or whatever it is your kids do. But sometimes it's just not exciting. Some things, just, I don't want to do this. It's not really what I want to do in this moment. But it's time well invested. Your kids are asking for your presence. At the heart of it all, it is simply passing along to your kids the chance in all of this to know, first, obviously, that you love them. But along and inside of all of that, it's passing on to your kids that there is a God that they can know. They can know who he is, what he's done, and what he's promised to do. Moses harped on it all the time. And for Israel, their thing was God is the God. When you read the first, first area I read this morning, it was saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is only one God. And for Israel, that's what that was about. There's only one God. And he rescued us, and he promised to take us to a land flowing with milk and honey, in a land where we will prosper. And for us today, this promise is the same, but it's just in a different way. There is one God who sent Jesus Christ, who rescued us when we needed rescuing so desperately. He promised to never leave us or abandon us. And he's taking us to a place where there's no more sorrow, pain, or death, where we will have life. It's the same promise, just different words. There is one God, he's rescued us, and he's taking us somewhere amazing. Now I recognize that there are some here who aren't fathers yet, or who've just unique circumstances in, in your life for various reasons. Uh, but when I look at some of the different figures uh, throughout God's word, there are many who played a vital role in, in the particular person uh, that they were invested in, the spiritual life of the person they were influencing. I think, first and foremost, right off the bat, I think always of Moses and Joshua, uh, and, and secondly, Paul and Timothy. There was this relationship. Moses wasn't Joshua's, Joshua's dad, and Paul wasn't Timothy's father either, but there was this deep, deep connection, this mentorship going on where where mentor was recognizing that mentoree needed some investing. Moses took time to make sure that Joshua knew all the commandments, knew all the statutes, so that when he took over the job, he was equipped to do the task that God was calling him to do, which was to take Israel into the promised land. And Paul did the same thing for Timothy, a young pastor. Paul seasoned in ministry and in missions work, and he came alongside Timothy and just showed him the ropes, what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so in those things, you may not be a dad biologically, but when I read the passages in Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. He's talking to the whole body of people. It's not being a father or a mother in the confines of the home but it's being a mother and a father in the in community as well. It's part of it. It's like that, that idea, it takes a whole village, right? It takes a whole village uh, sometimes to raise a kid. And in the, in the church body, it, it ought to be like that. I don't know if it's always the case, but I feel like when, when Moses is talking about 
hero Israel, he's saying to the community, it's our collective responsibility that the children, whether they're yours or not, as we read when we did that dedication thing, that we're investing, we're making the time and effort to say, yeah, you're not my kid, but God has called me nonetheless to pass on who he is, how great he is, what he's done, and what he will do. Those are, those are our collective responsibilities. Dads are so influential. So influential. Whether you already knew that or you didn't, I want you to know that you are a vital component to your family unit. Whether the world recognizes that or not, I don't care. I don't care what the world says. What God says is you are vital. You are influential and important in your home. You are needed. And the extent of that influence is determined solely by you. How influential do you want to be in your son or daughter's life? Whether you have a baby or a kid in college and beyond, the question can still be asked, what kind of dad do I want to be? What kind of father, what kind of legacy do I want to leave for my kids that when I'm gone, how will they be? Will they be as I raise them where it says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Is that the kind of child we want to raise where we're, we're investing, we're taking the time, making the effort. And as Moses said, you know, doing our due diligence as fathers. And yes, mothers, of course, too. But doing the due diligence to say, I'm passing on what God has done in our home, in my life. I have stories that I'm planning on sharing with my, my kid as I grow up, what God has done in my life and what God will do for her. Those are stories we're called to pass on. What kind of dad do you want to be? Let's pray. Certainly, Father, I thank you um, for just all the areas of fatherhood. But Lord, I, I, just, I also want to take time to recognize that it's difficult. It's tough work. But God, you have promised that you would never leave us. You would never forsake us or abandon us. And so, God, you as the greatest father, uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more like you. As we love our children, as we pass on uh, your word and the things that you have done in our homes and in our lives, may we be influential in our homes, and not just in our homes, but in our communities. May we be good fathers to our children, but good fathers to other, peop other people's children, too. And Lord, I just pray that uh, today that fathers would recognize that they are honored, they are they're recognized by you as important, important uh, people in the home. And that they're not to just be a secondary uh, functioning role, but that they're, they're pivotal to the raising and rearing of their children. So Lord, I pray that you would enable us to do the task that you've called us to do. And Lord, for those who are here today who are remembering uh, their fathers who are not here, God, I pray that today you would uh, remind them that you are, again, the greatest father and that they would take comfort in who you are. And Lord, even in this moment, I pray that you'd comfort them in this time, give them peace, and know that uh, amidst it all that you are there, you are guiding, and you are, you are holding them in your hands. And so Lord, I pray that you would be with those who mourn and, and, and are experiencing loss. And so Lord, I pray this morning that you would uh, help us go before uh, this week uh, being more intentional and passing on the things that you've done, that as we raise our kids, we would do the task that you have called us to do uh, to the best of our ability through the power of your Holy Spirit working in our lives and in our homes. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.